0: Welcome to the Weekly Retail Politics Podcast, where we bring you, one download at a time, the best information about your government. I'm your host, Jerry Shields, and today we will focus on the politics of Arizona with our guest, Mark Salter, the longtime speechwriter and confidant to the late and great Republican Arizona U.S. Senator John McCain, considered one of the greatest senators in our American history. Welcome,
1: Mark. Thanks for having me, Jerry.
0: Well, I had a chance to cover Senator McCain before he passed. And one day, talking with him in the Senate hall, he told me he slept like a baby the night he lost the 2008 presidential election to Barack Obama. And I was stunned and I said, No kidding, Senator. And he threw me that sly grin and he said, Yep, I slept a few hours, woke up and cried, slept a few hours, woke up and cried. <laughs> Well, let's get to it. The Arizona results surprised me, flipping from Trump in 2016 to Biden this year, because Arizona hasn't supported a Democratic presidential candidate in 24 years. That's almost a quarter of a century. There are several factors for it, which we'll get into, but tell me what you attributed it to.
1: Oh, I think, uh, you know, um, um, mixed reasons, but really, uh, you know, the president Trump uh, turned this election into a referendum on him. And, uh, you know, he he drove up turnout, um, but he drove it up for him and drove it up even more against him. So I think that's uh, that's that's basically what happened.
0: I called it a light switch vote because yeah. it was either him or not. Yeah. yeah um, working for Senator McCain for 18 years, you know more than anyone how Trump disparaged Senator McCain after uh, he took office, mocking the senator for having been a prisoner of war during Vietnam. And I had a chance to read The Nightingale Song by my old Baltimore Sun colleague, Bob Timberg, which I would highly recommend to anyone. Great book, great guy. Bob. Uh, graphically described uh, the savage beating Senator McCain took during the war that left him with limited use in his right arm. I think the most valiant gesture I have ever known about was Senator McCain's willingness to continue to subject himself to that torture after the North Vietnamese offered to release him. And of course, you know, he refused to leave saying that fellow prisoners were there first and should be released first. How much of a factor do you think Trump's ridiculing of Senator McCain was in Arizona flipping, especially since the senator's wife, Cindy, endorsed Biden?
1: Oh, I think it was a factor. Obviously, Senator McCain was very popular in the state of Arizona. It was a very close election, under 11,000 votes, it looks like. And uh, so, you know, any factor was going to be important. But, uh, um, you you know, McCain won his general elections by, you know, landslides, just about uh, every single one of them. And uh, there was a reason for that. He's very popular among independents, very popular among suburban independents, just, the demographic that Trump was, you know, scaring away from him. Uh, so, yeah, I you know, I think that probably seriously hurt him. Um, there was obviously, as you mentioned, Cindy McCain's endorsement of Biden. I think that helped. She did cut a spot that was quite good, an ad for a TV ad for Biden. that was quite good and was in pretty heavy rotation in Arizona. And then uh, I and about 150 or so other uh, McCain staffers, uh, you know, formed a McCain staff for Biden. And we got a little attention to that. And I think that might have helped a little bit. But, um, you know, Grant Woods, John's first chief of staff, uh, former attorney general of Arizona, was a prominent Biden supporter in Arizona. So there was, you know, you know, on the margins, probably. But like I said, in in a race decided by about 10,000 votes, uh, you win it on the margins.
0: Right. And he truly was a favorite son of Arizona. I don't think there was any um, doubt about that. One of the things I treasured most about McCain was his willingness to challenge his own party, which caused people to describe him as a maverick. Uh, He called it as he saw it including being one of the only Republicans willing to publicly criticize Trump at the beginning of his administration. What would John McCain's role have been in this recent presidential election had he
1: been alive? Well, as you know, he didn't vote for Trump the last time, so I, I'm, I'm, quite, I'm pretty positive he wouldn't have voted for him this time either. And likely, I think he would have uh, done as his wife did, endorsed Joe Biden, who he served with for many years and was friends with even longer. Um, he, he knew Joe Biden when he when when John was still in the Navy. Um, so I, I, I assume, you know, uh, he, he was very uh, he, he did not share Trump's worldview and he thought Trump had. Uh, character issues that made him unfit for the office. And, uh, uh, that, in, you know, in my opinion, anyway, that's become even more obvious over the, you know, the years since John died and the two years since John died. But, uh, uh, so I imagine, I think right now he would have, you know, I think after the election, he would have immediately stood up and recognized the obvious winner of the election as is almost always done. Um, and, uh, uh you know, called on his fellow Republicans to recognize the obvious and not put up with Donald Trump's you know PR shenanigans for the last three weeks. But, uh, you know, I, 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 a lot of times I don't want to I don't want to be put in the position of saying what John McCain would do about a contemporary issue, because it's not really fair to him. He's not here to say so himself. But uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm confident that that's the role he would have played this time.
0: Would he been vocal? I mean, it's one thing to say, "Okay, I endorse Biden," but would he have been vocal against Trump? Oh yeah, I
1: think so. Yeah, I mean, he was vocal against Trump. You know, the year I guess he passed away in 2018, so we were a year and a half or a year and change into um, into the Trump administration. Uh, um, he was qu- quite critical of Trump on a number of occasions. He, you know, a month before John died, he 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 released a statement about Trump that was the harshest thing I've ever heard him say about a president again after the Helsinki summit when when Trump took the word of Vladimir Putin our our enemy over the word of our intelligence services he, he was he thought it was the most disgraceful act he'd ever seen by an American president and he said so
0: now didn't he have something in his eulogy or a kind of his final his final uh, farewell about uh, Trump too
1: he never mentioned Trump by name in his farewell letter which I I helped write for him um, he, uh, but he, he, he sort of without naming Trump, he took on Trump, America first, you know, nativism, populist nativism. He took it on, you know, said that's not the country we are. He didn't mention Trump's name, and it. it was a, it was essentially a farewell letter to the American people. So, um, uh, but uh, he did, and uh, in his funeral. I mean he was very involved in his funeral. he wanted the two uh men who had defeated him for the presidency to speak on his behalf to to underscore what trump always tries to uh to uh to dispute, which is that we have more in common in this country than we have in disagreement we ought not we ought not get so angry at at each other over it and uh and we recognize that we all have we all share common responsibilities to 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 this country and uh Uh, he had had, um, you know he had wanted his funeral to emphasize that message you know in in the most emphatic way possible which I, I think he managed to achieve but
0: I wasn't aware of that he knew Biden when he was in the Navy. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: Well, John's last job in the Navy was what was called the Navy's liaison officer to the United States Senate, which meant, in effect, he was the Navy's lobbyist to the Senate. He had an office in the Russell Senate office building where he would have an office when he was elected elected to the Senate. Um, he, he became – sort of, uh, uh, you know, he spent most of his time with the Armed Service Committee and Foreign Relations Committee members. He got to know some of the, you know, really senior senators, uh, John Tower and Barry Goldwater and Scoop Jackson and traveled with them and became almost, uh, you know, they they were almost his mentors, especially Tower, Uh, but Scoop Jackson too. And uh, he got, he he was, it's where he got the political bug, where he decided he wanted to run for office. And, uh, but uh, he became kind of you know, personal friends with the younger senators like Joe Biden and Bill Cohen and Gary Hart and, uh, um, traveled with them. Uh, it was, uh, Jill Biden that, uh, that, uh, got John to go up and introduce himself to Cindy Hensley, who, who would eventually become Cindy McCain. Uh, so <laughs> they'd, they'd known each other, they'd known each other for, for many, many years. We're good friends. They argued about stuff all the time. They disagreed on, you know, scores of issues. And, uh, uh, they'd get after each other, some, but they were they were pals, you know, and they didn't, you know, they never let it, they never let their, you know, uh, disagreements on, on policy, you know, be a barrier for, for, to friendship. Uh, they always, they always made sure to maintain that friendship. Now, how
0: much of that work that he did as that lobbyist for the Navy and, and meeting those senators, how much did that groom him for when he got to the Senate?
1: Oh, I think he was ready. You know, he did two terms in the House first, uh, but he was, he was, you know, he'd been around, you know, he, he, he had a good sense of politics and he had a lot of relationships in the Senate already. So I think, you know, that, that gave, him a, gave him a leg up over other sort of freshman senators.
0: We did our Thanksgiving podcast last week on the state of Native America, and we discussed how Native Americans have traditionally not been involved in American yeah. politics, yeah. but Native Americans in Arizona came out in force against Donald Trump. They with did. Uh, Eighteen thousand more votes um, this year than four years ago, and Biden, as you said, only won the state by about ten thousand votes. Yeah. Why do you think the Native American vote rose? I think it rose up to thirteen percent in some of the tribal lands. Why did they come out so strong against Trump?
1: Well, I, you know, I, I assume for the same reasons. I don't know if there's an issue specific to to, to you know uh, you know uh, you know the. I'm, I'm not sure what Trump did. You know, there might've been a specific native American issue, but, uh, um, I, I just assumed they were as appalled by him as many other people were and acted accordingly. I'm, I tell you one guy who would have been thrilled by that is, is John McCain. You, he had very good relationships with the tribes, you know, you know, they had disagreements from time to time, but on, on the whole, he was viewed as a friend to Indian country. And, uh, uh, in fact, his first, uh, his first sort of political encounter with, uh, uh uh, Trump was uh, when Trump was bankrupting those casinos in Atlantic city. And he had been opposed to uh, Indian gaming and uh, the, it was, you know, attending a house hearing that McCain was going to testify in front of McCain was a supporter of Indian gaming, or, you know, regulating it, but, you know, thought the tribes had a right to make a decent living. And, uh, um, uh, you know, you uh, uh, know, Trump tried to hail him from across the room, you know, and and sort of buttonhole him on the issue. And McCain just ignored him. And finally, Trump yelled. So everybody in the room could hear it. I gave money to your campaign. McCain turned around and shot him a look and said, see what that'll get you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's John McCain for sure. Uh, It's kind of interesting that you said he ignored Trump because my feeling through this whole campaign was that's what Joe Biden should have done, even during the debates. I mean, one of the great pieces of the debate. The first debate was when Biden just he he was talking to um, Chris Wallace and Trump tried to interrupt him. And Chris Wallace said, uh, you know, Mr. President, you know, can you stop? And Joe Biden said he can't do that. (laughs) <laughs> know how to do that. And um, I thought that was beautiful. Yeah. And I thought if he would have spent that whole debate doing that, it would just ignore the guy. Yeah. But um, I expected Biden to collapse the so-called blue wall that Trump surprisingly won in 2016 with yeah. Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. But Arizona flipping was particularly interesting to me, given that it was the home of late Republican U.S. Senator Barry Goldwater, right. who John McCain succeeded yeah. and who ran for the presidency in 1964, losing to Democratic Senator Lyndon Johnson. I've always viewed Goldwater as the founder of the modern-day Republican Party. Is the Goldwater Republican long gone?
1: Well, you know, there's, you know, the Goldwater Republican has had a pretty strong streak of libertarianism in it, and there's still, you know, a fair amount of libertarianism. It depends. I mean, what, what's happened is Trump has sort of taken the, I think, a, a metaphor for what's happened to the party is the fact that there was no party platform agreed to. Now, candidates typically ignore that platform, but nevertheless, it, it is supposed to represent the party's sort of consensus view of, you know, uh, you know uh, policies. Uh, there wasn't one this year because it's just whatever Donald Trump says, so, so it's it's like, yeah, they, you know the, the the Trump Republican Party isn't like anybody's Republican Party. It isn't particularly Republican. And it certainly isn't particularly conservative. It's just what, whatever whatever Trump's feeling like that day. Um, uh, but I think you know Arizona, you know it it uh, it's trending purple. You know there are a lot are a lot of immigration from uh, other states, now, some of that's from you know high tax states. So you think you know they're they're they you, know, you could. Republicans could appeal to them with a smaller government, you know, lower tax message or something. But the kind of craziness of Trump, you know, that's, that, you know, uh, that, that's going to turn off more people than it uh, excites.
0: So you're, you're very familiar with the Senate and, you know, you worked for 18 years for Senator McCain. And I thought that if the impeachment vote or the impeachment trial was an anonymous vote, Trump would have been gone. Sure. And that's a sad statement because yeah. that shows a lack of courage among those Republicans who didn't like him. They didn't like him, but they voted for him because they were saving their own butts. Would you agree?
1: A hundred percent. I mean, it's, it, and, and you could say this too, that probably the happiest people in Washington, when it looked at the, on election day that Donald Trump had lost and the Republicans would retain their majority in the Senate were the Republican senators, that was the ideal outcome as far as they were concerned. They get to keep the Senate and they get the albatross from around their neck, you know, out of town. But uh...
0: and, and that's interesting because I had said, as soon as Trump loses, people are going to start abandoning him. And Romney did it. And um, I think you saw people like Chris Christie do it. Yeah. You saw Rick Santorum on TV do it. Um, that's kind of a sign of what you're
1: saying, that they're going to be glad to see him go too. Yeah he's nothing but trouble for them. And, you know, Romney to his credit has been a a pretty regular critic of Trump's and obviously voted to convict him uh, during the impeachment hearing trial. But, um,
0: but the one disappointment of Romney, though, was, and, you know, I mean, uh, the one disappointment with Romney was his support of going on with that U.S. Supreme Court nomination before the election. I didn't have as much problem with it. I mean, you know, in that first debate, Donald Trump said, hey, elections have consequences. Yeah. And I have no doubt yeah. that if the shoe was on the other foot, the Democrats would have done the yeah. same thing. Yeah. Yeah. But as you know, we have 48 Democrats elected to the Senate yeah. and 50 Republicans with two remaining seats up for grabs in a January Georgia runoff election. If the Democrats win, the Senate is tied 50-50. If they win both races, with Democratic President Kamala Harris as the tie-breaking vote. I think Biden, who served in the Senate for 26 years before he became vice president, was considered a pretty reasonable pretty reasonable guy who could negotiate with Republicans on the other side of the chamber, as you mentioned, Senator McCain being one of them. But my good friend Paul Kane of the Washington Post recently made an interesting observation that only 30 percent of the current Senate serve with Biden. How do you see the upcoming Senate operating?
1: Well, it's a little more dysfunctional than it was when Biden was a member of it, uh, a member in good standing, a popular member, liked by people on both sides, Uh, because the country's, you know, I mean, it was polarized polarized 12 years ago. It's, It's sort of hyper-polarized right now and uh you know we're fighting over the integrity of this election which was plain you know should be plainly obvious to everybody was perfectly fine but uh um uh so yeah it's it's a trickier environment half the republican caucus will probably run it for president in 2024 and you've got some guys that will do it by trying to emulate sort of the twitter trolls style of uh, uh Trump politics, you know, I'm Josh Hawley and Tom Cotton and Ted Cruz, you know, with just insult politics, and they'll 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 do what, what they can to uh, whether they really agree or disagree with whatever Biden's policy policy disp- you know of the moment is, uh, they'll they'll go after him just because uh, they think that's how how you get to be president. Um, that said, there are things that have to get done every year. He, he Biden has very good relationship with Mitch McConnell. And I think there may only be 30 percent of the current Senate, but those that 30 percent are people that know and like Joe Biden and no, you can you can take Biden at his word. That's that's uh, that used to be, you know, uh, the number one credential, you know, to be taken seriously by your colleagues. Do you keep your word to them? And Biden always has. He's got that reputation. And I think that'll put him in good stead. Uh, I think the country itself is sort of exhausted from all the drama of the last four years and would like just, you know, government to at least appear episodically as if it's functioning in a semi-normal, competent way. But uh, we'll see. Well, you uh, mentioned
0: uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, and I covered him too. And I always saw him to be a, a fairly reasonable guy. But I've been surprised at how he kind of stuck with Trump through this thing. Maybe he had to. How have you felt he's managed the Senate under Trump?
1: Well, I, you know, I'm a never Trump guy, so I would have preferred he break with him, but he views his job as maximizing the number of senators and uh, Republicans in the United States Senate and, uh, and uh, you know, not not getting crosswise with Trump, uh, he felt was the best way to do that. He also obviously takes <laughs> to, takes great pride in, in getting as many uh, uh, conservative nominees to the federal judiciary confirmed as, as he can possibly manage. And he, he decided to you know trump could be useful to that end. i don't think trump had any views on on the judiciary he just did as the federalist society wanted him to do um and uh and um you know mcconnell took advantage of that they got a tax bill passed that mcconnell liked and that put uh blue states like california and new york at a disadvantage and um um, you know it's he's he's a he's a he's a politico mcconnell um there are times he'll rise to be a statesman i think on foreign policy issues and stuff you saw the other day he um um he invited gina haspel in the director of central intelligence when rumors were flying that trump was about to fire her um so he'll he'll, he'll do things like that you know that aren't hu- hugely noticed but uh but um, i think he mostly gets up in the morning figures out the way how he can how he can help republicans do better and uh cause democrats to do worse
0: well, I think, that, I think that's a really fair um, assessment of him. I think he was, he was running for election, too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, crossing Trump. Um, who has, I mean, admittedly, a strong base. I mean, seventy million votes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and and was that a factor in McConnell's?
1: Oh, um, uh, I, do I, I, I don't think he was worried about his reelection race. Everybody, er, 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 every six years, somebody thinks like this is the time to get McConnell because he's so unpopular in other parts of the country. But it just doesn't. It just he he always wins in a walk. So it's just um, yeah. And I don't think he was too worried about it. He's got one of the best political teams uh, in, in the business. Um, I think he was just—he worried about it having a, you know, downward pressure on, you know, on all those battleground Senate races. Tom Tillis in North Carolina, and the two Georgia races, and Susan Collins here in Maine. And uh, I think he—I don't, I don't think he was particularly worried about his own, though.
0: Yeah. I always got a kick out of people saying it was the last year from McConnell. Cause there was just no way that was happening. Yeah. I mean, that guy is yeah. just uh, like Senator McCain. I mean, he's a legend. He's a, yeah. he's a legend in the Senate. And, um, so I didn't think that, uh, that it, you were, in, it was interesting. You talking about the relationship with McCain and Biden that they, they disagreed, but they were friends. And I think that is one of the, I guess that's one of the great qualities of the Senate. It has always been kind of a, um, you know, I wouldn't say gentlemanly because there's a lot of women in the Senate now, but it, it was always that way, but there was really one funny incident. So I was with the New York post mm-hmm. and Biden had made a, a remark about Mitt Romney uh, making a gaffe. So I'm trying to think who can comment on that, who can comment on that. So I run down trying to find McCain mm-hmm. and you know, how that Senate hallway just gets crowded. It looks yeah. like central, you know, it looks yeah. like uh, you know, grand central station. Right. And fortunately, fortunately for me, McCain comes walking, swinging through the doors like a cowboy. And, you know, <laughs> those doors and he's standing there. So I said, Mr. Senator, you know, can I ask you a question? Shoot. That was always just thing. Shoot. Because yeah. he, he wasn't afraid of the press at all. No. And I said to him, "Did you hear what Joe Biden said about Mitt Romney's gaffe?" So he just flies into this rage, his arms flying. Joe Biden's the best thing that ever happened to the Republican Party, and the spit and all. And then he stops and he goes, "Is that good enough?" <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it was just a great act, he was just a treasure. Brother. He was just a treasure to work with. There, you have a new book out, "The Luckiest yeah. Man," like with John McCain.
1: Tell us about it. Uh, Well, it's, you know, I've been working on it since he passed away and, uh, um, you know, it it sort of recounts Uh, it's, you know, it's a, it tells his whole story from, you know, his childhood to to his, his passing. Um, But uh, with a particular emphasis on the things I personally observed and the things he told me, I, 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 I worked on his Senate staff for 18 years, but I really was his friend and, and stayed uh, uh, connected to him through his, you know, I worked for his campaign committees for almost 30 years. So I, I traveled extensively with him all around the world. Uh, I, I seen him in, you know, very, very, you know, the the good thing about John McCain is he was all that different in private uh, from from what you saw in public, but uh, but uh, I, I you know he we were good friends and I, and I wanted to tell the story of uh, of, of you know, why he viewed himself as the luckiest man, which he really did until his you know the last few weeks of his life, he he referred to himself as the luckiest man you'll ever meet, and uh, he, not just because he had survived a lot of near brushes with death or anything, but because he got to serve this country and sacrifice for others, which he felt redeemed his own flaws and failing and gave him this big, adventurous, meaningful, purposeful, you know, uh, satisfying life that he lived. And he was, he was a wonderful guy, a funny guy, try to tell, describe his personality and all its various facets. Um, and, uh, you know, I hope people, even people who think they know him pretty well, will, 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 will learn something when they read it.
0: And, and that's very interesting. And, and one of his great, um, one of his great gifts was self deprecation. Yes. And, um, you know, I was in Baton Rouge covering the campaign, and he was at a luncheon with veterans. Mm-hmm. And uh, the leader of the luncheon got up and gave this like 20 minute introduction the greatest hero of the, you know. And uh, McCain got up and he just said, Didn't take much to get my plane shot down. Which. <laughs> 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 which just was, uh, which was great. And and I was telling you a little bit about just the the great um, rapport he had with the press. So senators, as you know, would walk through the hall and some of them had five people around them with binders, just basically, you know, waiting for anything for them to drop. He would walk the hall by himself. You'd walk up to him. He had no fear. And there was this great uh, young reporter. And I think she even posted this after he died. Uh, She would walk up and he would say, what do you want, you little Brat, <laughs> which uh, which was just uh, yeah. which was uh, which was just great. I first met John McCain when he was pushing um, the, the his his desire to make boxing uh, to be federally. Um, kind of monitored uh-huh. and I met, I was down in Florida doing a, a bunch of stories on this crazy box. It was the Mark Gaston thing, which you remember they were, there was feelings that the old New York jets defensive lineman had, um, you know, thrown a fight, um, was that as disappoint? that was kind of one thing he never got done. Was that a disappointment for him?
1: Yeah. Um, well, he did get something done with uh, with uh, the Muhammad Ali Act, which sort of tried to set up some kind of pension for uh, pension for journeyman boxers. But, yeah, he did want to regulate some of the, you know, some of the bad uh, promoters and uh, th- guys like that he loved boxing as you know i mean it was he loved every sport he used to say i'd stay up till two o'clock to watch the thumb suckers play the bedwetters but uh (laughs) uh, uh, but, but 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 his favorite sport was was boxing and he was a quite a fight fan quite a knowledgeable fight fan you know he'd get you know he he'd get upset when he thought you know it was a bout was decided wrongly and yeah but uh, uh, yeah he was he was he was quite quite uh, quite involved in it and yes he was disappointed that he couldn't get uh, even the very minimal regulation that he wanted to get that. why was that why was that uh i don't know you know it's uh i think for me, indifference really for a, a lot of people it's just not something that's you know not, he, he was one of, of just a you know the other guy that was interested in it was uh harry Reid. who had been a, like john had been a fighter uh, uh been a boxer and once upon a time john was an amateur boxer in, in at naval academy and uh but but not not enough people did, so they just heard from whoever they heard from in their own states and uh, uh didn't really want to get involved. Yeah, it
0: was um it was a real mess down in Florida. I mean, the guy that I was covering ended up being shot uh by one of the boxers who he drugged and so so Senator McCain again was on the forefront of an issue yeah. um that really needed to be addressed. So
1: Yeah, he was. It, it mattered to him.
0: Um well we wish you the best with the book, and we are most grateful for you uh, giving us your time and being on the podcast today. Thanks,
1: Jerry. Thanks for having me on. It was wonderful talking to you. We will be
0: back next week on Sunday with another edition of the weekly Retail Politics Podcast, which you can find on retailpoliticspodcast.com or Spotify. You can also help us greatly by telling your friends and subscribing to the podcast on Apple, where you can rate us and please write a review. And you can reach me this week with your thoughts at Gerard Shields, doc at gmail.com. I want to thank our executive producer, Mike Gugat and our technical producer, Brad, maybe the wizard of pods. And please pick up my book. The Front Row, My Jagged Journey, Recording American History from Reagan to Trump, now available on Amazon.com. And until we meet again next week, always remember to read beyond the headlines. Have a great week.